Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast contains explicit language. Siri, will you count to 10? Checking. Okay, I found this. That was not helpful, Siri. I'm not sure I understand. Siri, should I put peas in my guacamole? I'm sure I don't know. That makes two of us. So that happened. It's been long accepted that juveniles in the criminal justice system are better served by being separated from adult offenders. And yet, the practice of commingling these inmates together is fairly widespread in America. The Huffington Post's Dana Liebelson traveled to Michigan to find out what it's like to be a kid in prison. She joins us today to discuss our harrowing findings. Meanwhile, so many things have happened since we last podcasted at you. Marriage equality rulings have come out. The Eurozone is descending into new chaos. A dramatic new overtime regulation that could completely alter the fortune of the middle class. We will do a brief holiday weekend roundup on what's new in your world. And finally, in the Women's World Cup, the upstart lionesses from England suffered a tremendously heartbreaking loss to the cup holders from Japan when English defender Laura Bassett, attempting a clearance, Miss hit the ball into her own goal in stoppage time. Laura Bassett joins us today to discuss England's agonizing loss. I'm Jason Lincolns with the Huffington Post reporters Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Dana Liebelson. We'll get this done quick enough so you can go see your fireworks, we promise. But here's what happened first. All right, big news, World Cup action. We're going to talk a little bit of the Women's World Cup. Arthur. Huge game between England and and Japan, and it came down to the last minute and ended in heartbreaking fashion for England uh, when one of their players, Laura Bassett, actually kicked the ball in their own goal. And it's such a sad thing that there's a term for it, own goal. And uh, she was really upset. And and, uh, here to talk about it is uh, Laura Bassett. Laura, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Good to be here. Thanks, Laura Bassett. So, uh, (laughs) you know, what did you think about what happened? Uh, I mean, I, I thought it was pretty brutal. It's every athlete's worst nightmare to to kick an own goal to ruin it for your not just your team but your whole country. It's devastating. Wow, uh, that was really well said. Yeah, very uh, poignant. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. That's yeah. Huff Post reporter Laura Bassett. Hey, Laura, chin up, chin up, chin up. Laura Bassett is still a hero. I'll that's, be okay. That's what the coach of England said. All right, we'll be right back. I'm thrilled to say that we have another person making their debut with us. Introducing. Our, introducing the one and the only Dana Liebelson. Thanks, guys. How's it going? It's going great. Dana is uh, a, a, I'm also now, like, once again, outnumbered by proper musicians on this podcast. It's not too late to start. <sighs> it's too late for me, man. You should hear me play guitar. It is not good. It is not good. But, hey... Um, we're here today because Dana uh, has written this amazing story for our Highline feature. It's about what it's like to be 
a child caught up in the adult correctional system. And I guess what it's like is it's fucking terrible. Yeah, it's a, it's a really uh, cheerful story. Yes, I'm often accused of like ending the podcast on a gloomy note. So we're starting one on a gloomy note today. Dana, take us inside. Like the uh, How did you get interested in this story? Sure. So I found this story because I had been researching uh, solitary confinement of kids. Um, and while I was doing that, I learned about this huge lawsuit in Michigan that was being brought on behalf of a bunch of youth who had been held in prison there. Um, and, and the allegations were, were really terrible. There were allegations of, you know, sexual abuse, uh, use of force, lots of solitary confinement, sort of everything bad that you think of when you think of prisons. Um, and I just, I was sort of, that, that's how I got interested in this case. Right. And you obtained, you, you obtained a shit ton of information. It's all amazing. And, uh, just for readers, we'll put this, uh, we'll, we'll link this on the Tumblr and on our, on the entry for this podcast. But this, uh, story begins with a video, um, uh, 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 one of the, it's an extraction video, correct? Yeah. So uh, for people who don't know what a cell extraction is, uh, which, you know, I actually had no idea what this was before I started reporting. Um, you know, sometimes when correctional officers have to get a kid out of their cell, they will sort of call in this militarized team that's that's very sort of terrifying looking. You'll have like five big guards rush into a cell wearing gas masks, not explaining what's going on. Um, so one of the first videos I obtained from inside the prison was of a cell extraction. And I remember looking at it and being like, what the hell is this? Like, this is like, looks like police state America. Um, so that's how I... It's, and and it, it does look like police state America. I mean, yeah. you, you look at this video and they, they're putting like this, this like some kind of mask down, pressing it onto, onto this, this poor girl. I mean, it's a girl's face. Like she's what, 17 years old? Yeah, she's only uh, 17. Uh, from what I understand, I think this is the first time she'd ever been extracted and she had no idea what was going on. And no one explains to her what's going on. Um, and um, yeah, it, it sort of, if you watch the video, it looks like she's being, and it sounds like she's being assaulted. Yeah. And it's just really hard to watch. And yet, this is a totally, um, you know, routine prison practice nationwide. I mean, we we don't know how often it's used on youth because it's hard to collect that data, but... It, I'm sure it's not recorded. Well, I mean, long-time listeners will remember when we talked about, long time ago, the CIA torture report. And I have to say, divorced from any context about this, what this video pertains to, you watch it and it's just like, oh, this is like the CIA doing some shit to someone they're interrogating because it looks like they're torturing this person. They have like a mask down over their mouth. They're restrained in a in a Five people on position. top of this person. Yeah, it, it seems completely unnecessary. And you talk about this these... The cell extractions uh, at great length in, in your piece, um, and the evolution of a time from when this would be rare, a rarely used situation, maybe to extract someone who was going to commit suicide, and you'd have like burly guys go in, but they would take a mattress right. and like pin pin whoever it was to the ground, and then facilitate and then facilitate the extraction that way. Now uh, the way the way you describe it is now just at the drop of a hat. If there's a problem. There's a cell extraction going on. Yeah, it leaves you with the impression that like now people just like going in and, and whipping on some kids. Yeah, I mean it totally depends on the facility, right? Like we have well-run facilities aren't doing cell extractions. Bad facilities are doing cell extractions for really minor issues. I think one one that came up a lot for me was refusing to return your food tray. Right. Um, you know, if kids have a, like a hissy fit at mealtime, sometimes they're not going to refuse. They're not going to return their food tray back to the guards. 
Um, so is that the time to bring in the militarized team and drag them out of the room? I don't know. I don't know any parents who do that. Maybe I'm not a parent, so. Well, one thing that kind of, uh, that I found really striking is that, get, you know, I learned a lot from your story, um, but but the legal history of this stuff, a lot of the, the, the practices that you describe in your story are no longer, are, are not legal right now. Uh, the types of activities are not legal because you, you're supposed to keep kids separated from uh, from adults. If, if they're going to be in, in the prison system, they, they have to be, they have to be segregated out uh, and, and a lot of these activities, it just didn't seem like it was clear that that, that prisons were complying with, with with the law. So, what what is the law in question there, and, and what has been what, what was the source of this lawsuit in Michigan? Yeah, so that's, it's a little complicated. Uh, the law in question is called the Prison Rape Elimination Act (PREA), um, and the guidelines for that were finalized in 2012. So, you know, basically, what that law says is that kids have to be separated from adults by sight and sound. But uh, I think there's only 10 states that have certified they're in full compliance. So it's it, like most of the states are just ignoring it. Um, the deal with Michigan is they say that they started separating kids and adults in 2013. So the lawsuit concerns allegations that were mainly before 2013 where youth were being put in the same cells as adults and then terrible things would happen. Right. They, were, they would share actually just like sleeping areas with adults. Yeah. And, and one of the main kids in my story, um, you know, he alleges that he was sexually assaulted twice by two different adult male bunkmates. Right. Which is kind of, you know, it's just terrifying if you think about it, you know? Yeah. The thing, <laughs> the thing that really comes to life that, that, that the people you talk to bring out is that it's not a cliche to say these young kids are still, I guess the word is impressionable, like their uh, behavior patterns haven't formed, uh, that they're still capable of, I guess, I guess the theory is they're still capable of rehabilitation. Yeah. And so when to read every, your subjects' reactions to what's been going on to them is they're confused and and shocked and deeply, deeply harrowed by the situation that they find themselves in and desperate, and they just don't understand, like, why this world is collapsing in on them. Yeah, I think that raises a way bigger point. Like, it's one thing to say, okay, we've separated kids and adults. It's another thing to say, but we're treating them the same as adults in every other facet of the prison system. Like, they're being punished the same way. They're being expected to act like adults. Um, You know, we're using force on them in the same way. That sort of raises a lot of questions because, you know, youth kids aren't adults. Their brains are still developing. You know, I think there's a there's a lot of <laughs> scientific research that shows that it's not really in question anymore. But, but doesn't it also raise some questions about the criminal justice system more broadly? I mean, like it's it, it sort of in, inherent in Jason's question there is the idea that kids can be rehabilitated and and that that implies that adults a lot of adults can't and that our prison system isn't designed to rehabilitate people it's that's that's not the point of it that's not how it it functions does does that seem like am i am i missing missing something there with that no i think that's totally accurate i think i tend to focus on kids cuz cuz it's easy to grasp you know you can say oh well they can definitely be rehabilitated but i would say that you know the same holds true for many many adults and nonviolent offenders who are in prison as well and um you know the system's just, it's designed for punishment and to keep people away from the general population rather than, hey, maybe these people are going to be coming back <laughs> right. and joining the public again, and then what do we do? And, you know, they reoffend. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about what happened to you while you were reporting this story up in Michigan. Uh, you uh, ended up briefly being, well, it's kind of creepy, actually. They, they, uh, <clears throat> they subpoenaed uh, you for your, for your written materials. 
Yeah, so, you know, what happened is, I, it, I sort of want to set the scene here. You know, you show up at a prison. I'm not allowed to have any recording materials. You know, you, it's just you and my, my piece of paper and my pen and lots of heavy security. So I'm in the visiting room. I'm doing my interview. And this guy comes in, and he pulls me out of the room and takes me to a separate hallway. So I have nothing. Like, I don't have a phone. I'm away from, like, the plaintiff's lawyer. Like, I, you know, and he, he subpoenas me for my handwritten notes and says, hey, you need to sign this. And I was like, I don't know what I'm signing. I don't right. I'm not a lawyer. You're not letting – I can't call anyone, you know. Um, so that was very – it was very intimidating. <laughs> and uh, it also was intimidating on my – on my subject, you know, I got back and he was very nervous. He didn't want to talk for a while. He was, it, was, it had a chilling effect. Um, and the guy actually followed you to another site, right? So the next day I go to a, I, I drive like two hours, I think it was like 104 miles across Michigan and to another prison. And the guy is there again to serve me a second subpoena for that interview. And I was like, Thanks. it's like you're on the on that show, The Prisoner or something. Yeah, it, it made me feel like, you know, what am what am I doing wrong? Like, right. you know, I, I'm I'm just here asking questions and all of a sudden I'm feeling very intimidated. This so. matter got resolved after you blew up their spot, though. Yeah, I, I tweeted about it. And uh, within like I think it was like 12 hours, the attorney general had withdrawn both subpoenas yeah and he he called me and apologized later there are a lot of other journalists from all kinds of organizations that were pretty angry on your behalf yeah i mean (laughs) i don't think it would have the subpoenas wouldn't have held up in right right (laughs) there's this weird thing in the constitution it's called the first amendment yeah Yeah. really yeah totally weird um what's what's to come on this story um, you know, it's been interesting since it came out. I've already heard from like a lot of some correction officers and parents saying, hey, I saw this horrible thing when I was working in the prison. You know, this kid was beaten to death. Do you want to hear about it? And I was like, sure. So, you know, I think I'm just going to keep following these terrible, depressing stories. I'm, I'm really like pro transparency on this stuff. So there you go. All right. Dana, thanks for being here. Thanks for writing the story. <laughs> Everyone, check it out. It is called, uh, remind me. Cause I don't oh, know. Cruel and All Too Usual. Cruel and All Too Usual. It's part of our new Highline long-form series. You can go to highline.huffingtonpost.com and read Cruel and All Too Usual and read our other stories that have been collected under that banner. I'd also like to throw in a plug for Dana's punk band, The Hemlines. They're really awesome. Yes. Dana. Thanks, Zach. <laughs> Dana plays in Hemlines. Dana's Twitter handle is D-L-I-E-B-E-L-S. S-O-N. Nice work. There you go. And Hemlines is at Hemlines. Yes. Right? Okay, so follow all those things. Go see Dana play music, and uh, we'll be right back. Thanks, guys. Hey there, listener of this podcast. I've got a quick little thing I'd love to chat with you about. Are you a regular So That Happened listener? Well, let us know. Send me an electronic communication with your electronic communicating devices at so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Tell us what you think of the show, what we're messing up, and who you'd like to hear more from or more about. Okay, back to the program. Guys, you know, it's 4th of July weekend. We know you guys are celebrating. We're not going to take up too much of your time on this podcast. Uh, but so much has happened in the past few few days. We just want to touch on some of these things briefly and let you know that we're aware of them. Um, so what happened? Okay, so beginning... Uh, uh, Wait, who is this guy who's talking? I, this is Arthur Delaney. Hi, it's me, Arthur. Welcome back from vacation, Arthur Delaney. Thank you. Um, so while you're away... Um, 
Friday, last Friday, uh, the Supreme Court handed down their ruling on marriage equality. That, no, that was that was before I went away. Oh, it was. You're right. Yeah, okay, so I you, saw that. That's right. The story on that is that it happened, and we we're like, "Oh, exciting news on a Friday!" And then it was like, "Oh man, why couldn't it have been on a Thursday?" Because we're now we're going to put a podcast out in the world where we don't oh, talk about the big story I at all. I hate when you talk about time. I know you do. I know you do. But this is all about time. This is a <laughs> podcast now about time. <sighs> the 4th of July is, is you know, that that is about time. In yeah, a sense. exactly. It, yeah. it is looking backwards. Exactly. So 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 it was, uh, obviously the, the Huffington Post is a pro-game pro-marriage equality organization. Yeah. So we're, we were, we're open about that. We're kind of unabashed in our happiness about this ruling. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm amazed that like we got to a point where we listened to a bunch of bad arguments against gay marriage and countenanced them for so long. I loved uh, re- reading the dissents uh, and, and just reading how, how unhinged they were. Uh, I mean, Clarence Thomas basically... When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Straight up claims that Loving versus Virginia, the ruling that you know that required states to recognize interracial marriage, wasn't really about marriage. Right. That's how that's how he distinguishes you know the, the gay marriage, same sex marriage, right. from interracial marriage uh, reasoning. Scalia threw shade on the institution of marriage itself. Yeah. Saying that like oh well, a lot of people think that marriage means more intimacy, but really it sucks. <laughs> yeah, and he said uh, if you if you think it expands freedom and intimacy, ask the nearest hippie. Yes, and that's the thing we did. We asked some hippies. And the hippies were actually kind of divided on the question. Yeah, right. No, but they also weren't really hippies. They were yeah. the closest approximation to hippies. It shows how uh, in the past this is, Scalia is living, This is, this is his cultural reference. There are no hippies. This is D.C. where the average hippie <laughs> probably works for Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher. Well, we have people who <laughs> protest. And, and once upon a time, those people were hippies, including a guy I found outside the White House who was here in the 70s for marijuana smoke-ins, uh, but stopped considering himself a hippie when the Grateful Dead stopped touring, even though... They're, They're still on tour again. Yeah, so now, right now. So, I guess so once again, again. <laughs> well, I've tied myself in a knot, getting hung up on time, <laughs> which <laughs> of I don't appreciate. I'm really sorry. That. I'm really sorry. The coolest thing Friday night, uh, the White House actually um, uh, sort of like lit up the front of the White House with the rainbow colors. We went down there after watching the uh, United States beat China in soccer. A lot of people went down there after that, and uh, it was quite a scene in front of the White House. I'm pretty cynical about the pomp and pageantry of, like, statecraft, 
But like there were people like FaceTiming their moms and dads and like everyone just like joyously celebrating. And it was great. It was like, you know, it was kind of cool for the president to have done that and send the kind of message that everyone is now home safe. And it's great. It's great. Uh, but uh, Chief Justice Roberts, his dissent, he talked about, you know, marriage and history with the, the Kalahari Bushmen, the Han Chinese, <laughs> the, uh, the Carthaginians. And, and these were, you know, you can go look at history and see ways that these are not at all templates for what we consider marriage. Yeah, today. this is America. So, Kalahari ju- Bushmen. Uh, once again, I've gone back in time, which I right, exactly. I wouldn't do. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> right, let's on. go into the future. A big thing, another big thing that happened. I think it's like a kind of probably a huge game changer. We have new overtime rules in this uh, set by the time again. Labor. Time happens again. Right. Oh wait, I did. I missed that. I was on vacation. No, for that. huge, Ooh. great, great, great. What's the new salary threshold? Uh, Fifty-two thousand. Whoa, they, yeah. that is right near what uh, labor had been asking for. Yeah, they got. Everything they asked for, um, it is uh, it, it's huge, I and mean, this is going to be, um, I think, a, a real boon to the middle class because people now, uh, the the uh, from what I understand is that the average person who's supposed to be working forty hours a week is actually working forty seven, so they're working somewhere between a whole extra day for free. And uh, and pr- pre- prior to this, the overtime level had been set somewhere in the twenty thousand dollar range. Well, yeah, here's how it works: it, if you're a salaried worker earning more than twenty three grand, you're exempt from having to be paid time and a half, right? When you're over forty hours, so yeah. you just get paid the. Whatever you could be running a dollar store for thirty grand a year, working sixty hours a week, and essentially earning less than minimum wage. Yeah. So this changes a lot for the middle class. It, 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 it's going to provide people who work those extra hours with additional income. It's going to also perhaps encourage employers to hire additional people um, beca- right. because they won't want to pay overtime and it may be more cost effective to now suddenly have like two people doing the job of that, that one person was. Yeah, encourage, doing. force, you know, whichever. Yeah. Well, but here's the thing. I mean, force, whatever. Yeah, the, sure. The history on this law, though, uh, we have a lot of Most laws. Most economics on the is about some kind of coercion. Well, I mean, that's what government is, okay? Yes. That's, uh, property is violence. Uh, yeah. pro- property is theft, dude. It's, it's better than that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but think, I mean, this, this, this stems from a law, that a Great Depression era law. And it, the law just wasn't indexed to inflation. And it, it would sort of get re-upped every, every, you know, five or ten years when people would realize, okay, this threshold's out of control. And so this basically adjusted for inflation bumps things back to where it was in 1975 right. Right, under the Ford administration. And when we think about you know why the economic situation for the middle class has gotten so bad in the, since you know the 1980s, it's not just the tax policies and the deregulation things that have been that have been sort of actively adopted. We just haven't also kept up with a lot of the New Deal era laws that that really did work for 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 the middle class for several decades. And so by just sort of getting this back to you know Gerald Ford, that radical leftist, <laughs> uh, to, to his level, you, you're going to open up overtime pay for 5 million more people. And that's, that's a, I mean, that combined with the Department of Labor's uh, standards on, um, on retirement security, uh, those, are, those are two really big things that Obama has just done through the Department of Labor um, that, that, that probably the biggest thing he's done for the economy since the Affordable Care Act. Back to 1975. Yeah, this is a seriously, seriously good policy, and it's going to hopefully change a lot of people. What else happened? Uh, well, uh, bailouts, right? What? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Everywhere. Okay, so two, uh, two, let's take two minutes to talk about Grexit and now Puerto Rico going kaputski. Which are interesting parallels, right? I mean, because well, that last one's part of uh, part of America. 
Yeah. Yes, a lot of people don't understand. Puerto Rico is part of America. Our one of our producers, Adriana Ucero, is is born was is a is Puerto Rican, born in Puerto Rico, and like frequently is asked, "So when did you immigrate to the United States?" And she's like, "Never." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, Adriana's done some good reporting on this. Um, you know, the, the she she's out today, but otherwise we'd have her on. But, um, you know, the, the United States is going around Obama telling Europe, I think quite rightfully so, stop being a bunch of dicks and ruining the economy in Greece. Um, meanwhile, Puerto Rico are kind of like, yeah, giving them the finger, like, yeah, you, you freaking deal with it. It's a very similar issue. They're both part of the same monetary union. Uh, you know, the, the, the Greek people are part of the monetary union uh, with, with, with Germany and the rest of the EU. And Greece is basically getting screwed because the way the currency ends up functioning, Germany's currency is effectively undervalued, making their exports much more valuable, right. uh, both in Greece and, and in the United States. So Greece is getting screwed by the euro. And then when they get screwed and their budgets are all out of whack, people point at them and say, you guys were terrible and you're profligate. And there's some truth to the fact yeah, that they were Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. They didn't property um, taxes until like two years ago. Right. There are all kinds of really amazing ways to skate on paying taxes. Their tax system is really bad. Yeah. Um, but the solution for that is to fix your tax system. And right. essentially the EU has said, we don't believe that you're going to do that. And the, the Syriza government in, in Greece has said, look, you know, we, we, it's a political imperative for us to get this austerity crap off of our backs. We can't really do any governing until, until we work out it. And what the, is the know. austerity? It's like a higher retirement age, lower welfare benefits. It's, it's, it's rarely explained in the news stories. That- well, Greece has offered to cut uh, military spending uh, to certain, certain levels, um, and that's been sort of rejected. Basically, what the, the compromise steps that the Greek government has, has offered, instead of just cutting benefits to people, um, have, been, have been rejected. I, in part because I think the, uh, the EU regime, the Troika, you know, the, the European Union, European Commission, the IMF, um, they just don't believe that Greece is going to make good on its on its commitments in a lot of areas because it hasn't in, in the past over the course of these negotiations. But nobody really seriously believes that Greece is ever going to pay back the debt that it has. So these austerity conditions that are being imposed on Greece, which are things like you can't have a you know your minimum wage has to go lower, you have to have shorter pensions or less generous pensions for for the people who and and they've already you know they're saying that even though Greece has already cut pensions. Uh, yeah, they were basically. Riots over that. A few but years surely ago. these people yep. earning minimum wage in Greece and retirees in Greece—they're the real cause of all of Greece's problems, right? So they should be punished. <laughs> right. Strong point, right? Surely they are the ones that said, "You know what? Let's let's renege on all of our. Let's have a terrible tax system." Well, and, and so that's it's not the leaders and CEOs and governors and governing institutions that fucked up Greece, right? right. Definitely well, the little people. And that's what what this gets down to is basically basically the EU. The, the reigning powers in the EU, which are which are being really run by it's, it's really Angela Merkel and, and Germany, which is calling the shots here. They don't want to have to admit that the austerity regime that they've imposed on Greece has been a terrible failure. Not only has it caused great and deep human suffering, it has not created a situation in which the creditors can even be paid back. If you look through the IMF, their, their internal IMF documents that have been released that show that the IMF doesn't even think that under the austerity programs that they are demanding Greece adopt, that Greece will actually get its debt down to a sustainable level within the next decade. They, they are now internally acknowledging that this just doesn't work fiscally or economically, and it's caused an enormous amount of human suffering. So essentially they have to, acknowledge, to, to change courses to acknowledge that they've done terrible, terrible things to Greece. Right, yeah. And to give credit, if they change course, to a left-wing government that they do not like. A government that was elected specifically to say the policies of the Troika are bad, and these are bad policies. The EU would much rather force Syriza out of power and then 
then then cut a deal with some other government that's not a left wing government, so that they don't have to tell these these hippies uh, that that actually the hippies were kind of right and the establishment economists were all wrong. Right. It's all about territorial pissings. Uh, Puerto Rico, uh, they got another month or so to. Uh, I guess dither around and not do it. The, the situation is very similar. Like, right, if, if you were Puerto Rico right now and you had too much debt, what you would do is devalue your currency in order to in order to boost your economy with exports. Right. That's that's what Greece should do right now, but they can't because they're stuck as part of being part of the, the Euro. The EU, yeah. Puerto Rico is stuck being part of the union with, with the United States, right, monitoring yeah. the United States. And the United States is, is basically saying, you know, we're not going to change our economic policy to make things easier on Puerto Rico. Um, which, remember... You know, when we had a huge housing bubble in a few states like California and Florida a few years ago, there was a giant freaking problem with the economy. And what happened was that the Fed went totally bonkers uh, and printed a whole lot of money in order to make sure that California and Florida didn't just go straight to hell. They, everything kind of still went to hell to some extent. Sure, sure. But they printed enough money to make sure that things did not go off totally off the rails. Now that things are, you know, think there are real troubles in, in Puerto Rico. There have been some significant failures of governance there. But they were, there, there were significant failures of governance in Florida and California. You know, the solution was not, yeah, let's just make sure everybody suffers like hell. That's, that's <laughs> not how you solve problems. <laughs> All right. Finally, Independence Day coming up. I am in favor of Independence Day. Right. Independence Day is great, right? And, and you know, if anyone wants to have an argument with me about the favorability of Independence Day, I'm ready. Well, Back. so here goes. <laughs> <laughs> see, how, see how you guys set that up. I'm generally kind of down on the American Revolution as revolutions go. I'm a, I'm a much bigger fan of the Civil War. I, I look at the American Revolution and I'm like, what's the point of revolting if you're just going to have a bunch of slave states uh, afterwards? That seems like that was maybe not worth it. But well, I'm coming around on the Declaration. a lot of philosophical uh, uh, de- markers that maybe we didn't live up to, but once they were enshrined, they became, you know, something that eventually became obliged to follow. Yeah, they became like a uh, a guide star and that we we keep on trying to get to it or and, follow yeah. its light. And, and I think in fairness, the Declaration of Independence is a pretty awesome document. All men are created equal. Yeah, it was written by a slaver who was kind of a jerk named Thomas Jefferson. Right. Um, who, who did not live up to those ideals. Uh, but but the stuff that's in there is really really cool and uh, and it's it's a really important document and I'm glad it exists and it's it's worth celebrating. And this year's Independence Day is sort of in the midst of a, a like a years long series of uh, discussions about race that this country there has been a reckoning with uh, mm-hmm. the massive disparities in the way police treat black people. And uh, the Confederate flag is is being stomped on finally the way it should have been right after right. I mean, the Civil War. So I, uh, these are these are happy things, which uh, you know I, I think you can celebrate patriotically. I want to I want to make a plug here for a, a, a online course, uh, the Open Yale course on the American Revolution by Joanne Freeman. It's really good. It's great stuff. It's super nerdy. Um, but there's a lot of really great stuff in the American Revolution if you're interested in the, the, the sort of historical nitty-gritty about that stuff. Well, I'm going to crack a Budweiser and, and fire that up and listen to it. It's really fun. She's great. All, all the Open Yale history courses are good. I prefer – my favorite is Paul Freeman's on the uh, – All Revolution, right, but, Poindexter. You know. <laughs> That's enough. But they're free. They're free. Oh, my Cost God. Cost you nothing. All right, man. Free stuff. That's what America was founded on. <laughs> I- I guess. I guess. Freedom is free. 
Guys, have a happy 4th of July. Thanks for sticking with us through this weird podcast today. We'll be back with something proper and normal next week when, like, people we call to interview actually are in their offices and will come on the show. Don't tell people that. That's fine. Jesus. But, I will, believe but it, next week it'll be free. The podcast Dana is Dana was just free. on talking about believing in transparency, and I, too, uh, think let, prefer things to be out in the open. USA. Oh, uh, Arthur Delaney. We're going to go through this again. Okay, so <laughs> Arthur Delaney, you can follow him. Please follow him on Twitter. Or I'll die. I'll, you, I'll die dead. <laughs> if I don't get more Twitter followers, I'm going to fucking die. Did any of those people from that Florida town follow you on Twitter like I demanded? Not that I know of. Oh, then Hollywood, Florida, you're still in my doghouse, Hollywood, Florida. Well, people, 10 people will follow me if I make a good joke, and then five of them will turn out to have been robots all along. If you're a robot, the future is following Arthur Delaney. Cleave to him. <laughs> Do not start a robot revolution without first consulting Arthur Delaney. I'm begging you, Skynet, if you want it to succeed, you need Arthur on your side. You can follow him at, at Arthur Delaney HP. The HP stands for Human Papillomavirus. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you just couldn't spell the V. It was, right. it was too many characters. Human Papilloma? <laughs> That is the that is a very common sexually transmitted infection. Uh, yeah. This is really ruining my day. <laughs> you also, now you're really going to want to follow him. Um, you, also, we're joined by Zach Carter. His Twitter handle is at z a c h d c a r t e r. Zach D. Carter, Zach like a Zach. Yeah, and I'm Jason Lincolns, but you have to follow me at Deceiver. It's D C E I V E R. V is in venereal disease. <laughs> yes. Wait, V? And Deceiver. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I'm glad we've ruined that segment. No, but this is the end, and anyone listening is like asleep or a cat. You're right. Okay, good night, cats. We miss you already, cats. (laughs) So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced and edited by Ibrahim Balki with technical direction from Brad Shannon and assistance from Christine Canetta and Adriana Ucero. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week, we were joined by HuffPost reporters Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Dana Liebelson, as well as the very courageous Laura Bassett. We thank her for coming on. So That Happened is available on iTunes. Check us out on the iTunes store and look for the Huffington Post whole family of podcasts. Subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send us an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. As always, thanks for listening. We miss you already. Happy Independence Day. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.